A Square Podcast, boy DJ A Rod alongside Cornbread. Uh, one more time for the listeners, uh, uh, Cornbread, why don't you introduce these folks one more time? Man? Yeah, man. So um, in the building today, um, we got two Marines um, who serve their country proudly, man. So we got uh, Nick, and then we also got James, man. Thank you again for being on the Thank podcast, y'all, man. Thank, Thank you, you so much. So, um, Even on the ones and twos, we got Brown, man. What's up? <laughs> <laughs> He's over there. Uh so something that's um, happening uh, in the country right now, um, and, and we want to talk on this a little bit, is um, the kneeling in the National Football League and, um, you know, Kaepernick, you know, um, there's been a lot of storylines with this. I mean, we're all familiar with it. We're all grown here. So um, uh, I think... It's important uh, for me. It's important for everybody to share their opinion on it because that's what this is all about. You know what I'm saying? Everybody should be allowed to share their opinion. And you guys served. You know, we appreciate you for doing this. We want to get your opinion on, you know, how it was done, what's going on. And uh, here we go, love. <laughs> I, and, and you know, here's the thing. I want this raw, and I want it uncut. Raw. I don't want anybody. Shut up, Tony. I want this. I want this as 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 honest as possible from you guys, because your guys' opinion may not. You know, it may differ from other people from you know the military. You know what I'm saying? So I want you guys to be very honest about it. I'm gonna start over here. All right. And we'll take it across. <clears throat> so right, from so. So let's start from the very beginning when it first happened, and you know, mm-hmm. and then you found out why, or go from there. Um, well, for me, you know, I get it, and it's it's one of those like hard places to to kind of put your feelings on it. But I understand why he did what he did. He's trying to raise uh, raise awareness. You know, you have that freedom of speech, and that's something that, you know, both James and I, you know, fought to give everyone, right? You know, you have your, your rights of free speech, religion, whatever it is that you want to do, mm. you have that right because of the, the fighting that we do. So I understand that aspect of it. With regards to the national flag, I've buried more brothers than I care to remember Mm-hmm. And that same flag that he was kneeling for was draped over their dead bodies. Mm-hmm. So to me, that's almost like a slap in the face. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I understand why he, you know, he's doing it and he's trying to find some way, shape or form to kind of raise awareness for whatever. The, I mean, I it's been so long. I can't even actually remember the, the reason behind mm-hmm. why he was doing it or it was, it was specifically. More, yeah, it was it was really to bring awareness to uh, police brutality in the states and it was and and, and i'll just put this in there real because i want you to finish um because i want to be clear right um it was it was brought to his attention from a person of the military that if you're going to do anything kneel in prayer because that would be more in respect versus turning your back which is what initially he was other, sitting down. He was well, just sitting initially down. he was just sitting on the bench. Mm-hmm. So that was a form of disrespect. So 
I just want to make sure I'm I'm being clear. It was brought to his attention that if you kneel like you do in prayer, mm -hmm. that that would be a more respectful, a more respectful way. Mm -hmm. True. So I just but, want to make sure I you know. The, get whether your it's opinion. kneeling on the flag or in, I've seen all these videos that are posted up all the time sure. of people burning the flag, right. standing on it, yeah, you know, all the above. But when it's being done during the national anthem, which signifies our country and our freedom that's right. been fought for everyone, it's still, to me, it's still the same. Right. Whether he's not physically kneeling on the flag itself, but mm. kneeling during that national anthem, which means so much to me, it's a sign of disrespect. Now, if he wanted to say kneel for, you know, whatever other reason, by all means, you have you have my blessing. You know, you do what you do. Mm. But when it involves the flag and the national anthem, it's just, I, I take that as a sign of disrespect. All right. Thanks, James, James, what you think, man? All right, I feel like a battle rapper right now. No, uh -oh. bro. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do it. I love so, battle rap. let me just give you a you little bit. You told the wrong person about battle yeah, rap. Yeah, I know, I know, that. I know. <laughs> let me give you my background first. My, I, my father was like a personal pro protester. Like, he had his own protests on stuff that nobody knew needed to be protested. Mm -hmm. um, we couldn't buy gas at Exxon because they supported apartheid in South Africa. So we would drive past gas stations, past gas stations on E to get to gas somewhere else to make a point. Mm -hmm. I'm not yeah. spending my money there. Yeah. Right. So, um, and I'm just going to go ahead and put it out there. Nick is a light green marine. I'm a dark green marine. We get mm -hmm. rid of the whole. That's another thing in basic training. Yeah, and I think that's across all the branches of the military. We don't talk about black and white. Talk about green. We're all supposedly the same. So, as a dark green marine or as a black black marine, I have to think about it from two two angles. One, I have two young boys. And I see all these senseless killings in the United States. And I see us taking more effort to not kill foreigners, people in a war zone, than it appears that some police, not all police, and for those of you who don't know, we are police officers too. So right. I'm, I'm speaking Correct. I'm, I'm, from I'm, both I'm, I'm speaking from both from angles. But I, I can't help but see what I see. I got you. So I don't know. I can't say that one day when my son is 17 and every, every and let me back up. Every year, my son, my sons are five and, or four and nine. They'll be five and 10 in a couple of months. Uh, right now, they're really cute. But the bigger they get as black guys, unfortunately, there are people who just think that we're scary because we're black and maybe we don't smile. I remember being told, hey, if you want to move forward in your smile career, more. you need to smile more. Yeah, facts. Um, <laughs> Give me a smile, James. Oh my God, bro, that's he a terrible smile. It's a horrible smile. It's my, it's smile, it's my, bro. Um, <laughs> he heard his face, ladies and gentlemen. It's smile. my customer service smile. So but, you literally, do, but you do have nice teeth. <laughs> he I'm sure somebody likes to lick, on. lick my teeth. That's gross. <laughs> so we'll leave that off air. We'll leave, so, we'll leave that story on. So, so literally, <laughs> I think about my sons being pulled over by some police officer who only sees them as another one of them 
and supposedly being afraid for his life and instead of going through the training that he's been given just automatically going to his gun and i also see the news outlets taking pictures of my sons maybe when they're trying to be hard and taking a picture of them after a football game or something where they're not smiling right using that picture to represent them when they not not saying the fact that hey my son is a straight a student not saying the fact that my son volunteers no record no record he's never done anything wrong trying to paint him in this Didn't picture. Didn't your son just preach a sermon? My son just preached it. He's going to throw that out there. Yeah, <laughs> and, and he's supposed to, he was supposed to preach another one uh, in Orlando, not Orlando, in New Orleans, but he got sick. Yeah. So th these good kids who just, because of the color of their skin and the way society views them, right. become demonized. And so I saw Colin Kaepernick standing up by kneeling down and saying, you know what? I just want to bring attention to the fact that there are a lot of things, a lot of cases where young black men are being killed, young unarmed black men are being killed, where armed people of other races somehow get talked away from their guns. So I, I don't have a gun on me and you still can find a way to kill me and justify it. So I saw him bringing um bringing attention to that and for me uh as far as the net the flag goes like nick said i, I buried friends um and the crazy thing is i'm we, we're still losing friends who died over there and just right. didn't know it and they ended up they end up taking well, their lives here and we'll yeah we'll get to that um yeah, we'll get to that. but we've lost friends and we've had to bury them um i buried Plenty of Marines, like literally, handed the flag to a family member, and and on behalf of a grateful nation and the President of the United States, the Commandant of the Marine Corps, I please accept this flag uh, in honor of your your family member's service. Mm. I've done that, so it means a lot to me. But at the same time, I can't separate that from the history of the United States. I can't separate that from the national anthem and everything that it means that most people don't realize. I can't separate that from the fact that the second verse of the national anthem that most people don't know about talks about how much this guy who wrote the national anthem hated slaves. Right. So because of that, I look at are people more concerned about a song and about a piece of cloth or are they concerned about the lives of members of this community, members of this society. In our society, we're one of the few countries that are, our society is based in a melting pot. We're not Europe where you have people who have migrated there, but the country was always a white country or countries in Africa where the countries were always black countries, even though the colonialism may have sure. uh, integrated. We're, we are a integrated country and for someone to bring attention to the fact that some of us are not getting treated like all of us mm. and unfortunately losing their lives because of it, I understood it. I understood it to the point that I didn't watch it, the NFL for what, about two or three years? It was like, yeah. 
It was it was the end of that year and two other years, so two and a half, yeah. Two and a half years. I, I totally stopped watching the NFL. Anything mm-hmm. that had to do with it, I didn't watch ESPN. I didn't do yep. anything. Because again He purposely went in another room during the Super Bowl. Yeah. That, we I went to I went to a Super Bowl <laughs> party just to hang out with some friends. Yeah. But I turned my back to the T V like yeah. first of all, it's the Eagles. I'm a Cowboys fan, so <laughs> And that's too bad. That that's the I, that's I, I, already I'm, too I'm, bad. I'm hating on that. But secondly, just I I'm I was there with Colin Kaepernick. Right. However, Colin Kaepernick lost me when he settled. He he lost me. Right. I agree. 100%. So, do you have anything to rebuttal on that, Nick, or anything he said? Or I've got nothing. And I got one thing I want to add to that and ask. The room, even, um, is there a such thing, if you guys really take your mind around it, right, is there a such thing as a peaceful protest? If, if you really just think about it for a moment, is there really anything that's like a, a peaceful protest? Because if it was, I'd so. say nowadays, no. If, if because if it was, like him being silent and taking a knee and not, you know, just doing it for whatever his reasons is, like that is would be a definition of well, a peaceful but but not, even though so, you're bringing awareness and you're do- I don't I don't think so well go ahead, go ahead. I agree with what you're saying but uh-huh. you got to understand the the protest mm-hmm. means you do not agree with whatever the rule is right so People just don't protest saying, yeah, we agree. Yeah, That's right. never happened in the history of, a, of the world. So you got to understand, when somebody protests, that means they think whatever is happening is unjust, unfair, they don't like it, or whatever it is. So that's automatically going to be a conflict. So it doesn't matter. Peaceful is just to say, okay, it's nonviolent. Right. But it doesn't mean that people agree. And when people don't agree, that, they're obviously that, that, that's, that's going to that's that's the spark conflict. the conflict. Right. It so. could be just a conversation. It could be so when okay, I hear on the news all the time, there's a way to peacefully protest. No. I'm like, no, there's not. There's not. There's, not. there's a way to protest without violence, without breaking the laws. There you go. But protest required. Protesting requires a disruption of Correct. something. That's that's disruption. The whole point there is to go. disrupt Correct. the flow right. so that it can either bring attention to something, change it, or that people can. It, it brings a magnifying glass to a problem. Correct. So if I'm peacefully doing this and it's not affecting anybody, he wasn't protesting when he was kneeling until people noticed it. Before he was just, hey, I don't feel comfortable standing right now. Right. But it, it's, not little, it's not a protest until it starts to offend somebody and affect someone. The Boston Tea Party wouldn't have mattered if they just threw the boxes that the tea was in into the into the 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 river or the right, ocean or right, lake or whatever right. it was yeah the harbor the harbor the there harbor you go. thank you <laughs> there you go it, it it only matters when it starts to affect people right so his protest became legitimate and it it, it actually started to make sense when it started to bother people and I think it I think I agree with you when um, when you say he lost you when he took the settlement. You know what I'm saying? Like that, it, same way for me. You know what I'm saying? If you're fighting for something, when you take a settlement, an uh, undisclosed amount settlement, you know what I'm saying? It's with like, a gag order. With a gag <laughs> order. Like, bro, what are we talking about now? To me, I was just like, what's the point? What? What? I've been not watching football for months yeah. because I wanted him to expose the fact that the NFL was colluding. They were coming together. That's all, I think to that's keep what all people out. wanted. That, 
And and if they weren't, then I hey, you know what? I apologize for not watching football. But there was there was nothing. It's like okay, and there was no information. Just it was nothing. I guess nothing. we're done. It's still nothing. It's like so, you, you mentioned Forrest Gump when Forrest Gump ran that whole time. Yeah, and then all of a sudden he was decided I'm done. Everybody was like, "What the hell?" <laughs> That's how I felt about the protest. We all right here behind you, fam. Like, so where are we supposed to go? We in the middle of Arizona. <laughs> Think I'll go home. A <laughs> Square Podcast, DJ Rod Cornbread, Cornbread. Let's touch on something a little bit. Um, also, uh, I know you want to touch on something. I won't say it. I'm gonna let you go ahead and uh, go for it. As far as uh, well, I want to ask something before we got into that. Uh, okay, go ahead. So it's it's really a two part question um, for both of you guys. Uh, I would like to know why you did not want to make it a career. You know, do twenty twenty five years, even some people longer than that. Right. And then what that process looks like getting out. If you guys don't mind, yeah, let's start with Nick. All right. So, like I originally said, I was looking at gonna make a career, but that was my initial plan. Um. What went wrong, I don't even necessarily say it went wrong, but obviously there's there's a process to it. So I went in um, as an enlisted infantryman. So I already had my bachelor's degree. So technically I could have gone into the military as a commissioned officer if I chose to. Mm -hmm. What I was wanting to do was get my uh, an idea or a perspective from both, both avenues. So you know, the enlisted side and the commissioned side. So the way that it worked was is that if you went enlisted, you had to do at least one full term, which was, was four years. And then after that, if I wanted to go into uh, becoming a commissioned officer, then I could, at my command's discretion, do so. Um, so I would have to get their permission to uh, allow that process to happen. And then I would have to go and get commissioned as an officer. Uh, which would have been an additional, probably close to another year of going through another boot camp type of environment. Um, but what I wanted to do as a commissioned officer is I wanted to be a JAG officer, which was a judge advocate general. Mm -hmm. So it's essentially an attorney. So in order for that to have happened, I would have had to get commissioned. Then I would have had to go back to school to get my law degree and then come back in uh, to the military and... Um, go through my specialized training as being a JAG officer, and then I could start doing what I wanted to do. Um, all in all, that process would have probably taken three or four years. But the way that it was described to me is that I could go and get commissioned as an officer, you know, take that year, go through, get commissioned. And then at that point in time, then I would need to go and serve at least two or three more years as a commissioned officer before they would allow me to join this program, which would allow me to stay active duty and then go to school. Um, so during that two or three years, more than likely because I already had infantry experience, they would have put me right back into the infantry unit and I would have ended up being a lieutenant or second lieutenant, first lieutenant, whatever, um, in an infantry unit, which means I would have had to deploy probably another it's two or three like more start times. Like, start over. <laughs> Essentially, do the same thing that mm -hmm, I just right. did. And mm -hmm. the whole purpose of me leaving the infantry and going uh, the commissioned route was to have been to get out of that. Mm -hmm. So, I would have had to have done that. Then I could have gone and done whatever I wanted to do, which that three to four year process then now 
turned into seven, eight year process. Right. So I figured at that point it was screw y'all. I'm getting out. Yeah. I gave you four years of my life. Mm-hmm. I've been shot at enough. Right. I'm, I'm yeah. counting my blessings and I'm getting out of here. Right. So then to answer the second part, um, what in the process, process of getting like? out, yeah. uh, things have definitely changed and, and I can only speak from the Marine Corps side now. I don't know, uh, what the process is like if you're leaving from like the army or any other branch of the service. But now because of everything that had happened with the Vietnam war and all the veterans that had gotten out and how they weren't preparing them for life outside of the military. I mean, when you're in the military, it's like, okay, anything you need, here it is. Right. Um, this is what you need to do. This is when you need to do it by, this is what time you need to show up. This is the time you can leave. You know, everything is pretty much laid out for you day by day. This is what we expect. And then, you know, back in the Vietnam War area, when veterans got out, it's like, okay, cool, bye. So they were, they had no idea on, on like, okay, well, what do I do now? They went from uh, an environment where they were being told and given everything that they could possibly need and want to, okay, now figure it out for yourself. So now... Um, when I got out, there was a very, very long process and it probably took me close to like the last two, two and a half months of my contract in order to fulfill all of the requirements in order to get out. I had to get signatures by generals and, um, very high up staff NCOs. I had to schedule meetings with my units, um, essentially I guess they would just be like a secretary to kind of make sure that I had a plan of what I was looking to do when I got out mm-hmm. and actually have a detailed plan and show proof you know and at the time um, I was in the process of getting hired with where we're at now right. so I was able to kind of give them that information and they're like well don't put all your eggs in one basket you need to have a backup plan so on and so forth so they were taking the time to like really make sure that I had Everything lined up before with game I, plan before. Yeah. Before actually getting out, not to mention, I had to go through a week long, I guess you can call it a course, but week long um, courses on all of the benefits that I get, um, how I can go about getting those benefits, what, you know, they could do for me, so on and so forth. Like pretty much all the, uh, the VA benefits that, veterans get and what I would need to do once I got out to be able to get those benefits that are laying it all out there for us in a week-long course. Then I had to go through a whole nother week-long course of how to properly write a resume, how to properly conduct an interview, um, how to go through an interview, you know, secondary interview, the whole nine yards, like all that aspects of preparing me to getting a job. Right. And they did that to kind of cover their 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 asses right. on, you know. Instead of saying just okay, cool, yeah, you 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 figure it out for yourself, right? And having that that negative um, stigma that's been brought on you know the military from the Vietnam War right. uh, about people not being able to get jobs, and you got a bunch of homeless people living out on the streets and so on and so forth. So this was their way of fixing that and being able to cover their asses on it. So same question to you, Rob, on you know why you didn't want to make it a career. Well, and then, you know, the process. 
I joined, like I said, when I was 27. So You were 60 when you got up. Yeah. <laughs> so Jesus. I would have been 47 retiring in about five years. Which now, I mean, it, it, yeah. it really sucks. Like, I could be retiring yeah, right now in five crazy. years. That's crazy. Um, but uh, one of the reasons that the military wants you young is because they want to be able to mold you. And at 27, you can't just tell me anything and expect me to just sit there and believe it. Right. At 27, I got questions. Right. Um, now, I, I'll follow a lawful order, but stuff that's not life and death, it, it was just very difficult for me to just, li just yes, sir. And the older I, I was, like I'm, I'm in my 30s when I got out, the harder it was for me to... Um, for me to handle it, to, to deal with it. Yeah. I, I, um, I joined Marine Corps Reserves. So as far as the process of getting out, I already had a job. Um, I already had a, a career. I was already where we are. Um, so the process wasn't as difficult. They still, you still got to go through all those things, but it was a lot easier for me to show proof that, hey, man, you know how I work. Um, it also... We, uh, one of the things that I don't think Nick mentioned was the fact that we had to go through classes to make sure that uh, mentally we were okay. Mm -hmm. um, make sure that, and before well, I had I, those classes multiple times. Yeah, you get them every time you deploy, but <clears> then getting yeah. out, um, it's, it's another, another set of those classes. Mm. And, and the military can only do so much, but um. At some point, it's kind of a check in the box because for me, somebody wanting to get out and ready to just be done with it because I'm just I'm belligerent. I was at the point where I was between corporal and sergeant. I got out as a sergeant. I didn't even want to get sergeant because I just was that annoyed and just pissed off with the stupidity um, that we were dealing with on a day to day basis. And in the military, you can't just say I quit and leave. You're at someone's. You, you're beholden to someone for everything, and any I mean, you can literally lose everything um, for disobeying orders. So you, 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 if you care, it's real easy to to be pissed off. If you don't care, you just I'm not doing it. They bust you down or they lock you up. You lose rank, lose money. But if you don't care, not a lot they can do. But if you do care, and I'm a, I'm the rule follower. So if you do care. Just annoyed all the time. So I didn't want Sergeant. I ended up getting it anyway. Um, and when we got back from Afghanistan, I was just done. Um, the Marine Corps also is very, it's not the family oriented service like some of the other services are. What do you it's, mean by that? It's an unsaid, say, uh, unsaid rule that if the Marine Corps wanted you to have a family, they would have issued you one. Mm. Um, People, people do it all the time. Uh, most most of my staff NCOs had, were married, but you can go on deployment to um, Okinawa, where the army, when they go to Germany, they take their family. It's difficult. You, I think you got to be a staff NCO. I could be wrong, but you got to have some rank before you can bring your family. And I think you got to double your tour. Marine Corps is just not super family friendly. Right. Um, and again, I, 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 I'll say more. It was me. I just, I was belligerent. I had a bad attitude. Um, 
So I went through the same steps that Nick talked about. And um, because of that, I also just kind of did enough to check the boxes, but I didn't really, I know I have a job, so I don't need to put a lot of uh, time in the resume thing. My resume is nicer than everybody's who's trying to teach me how to write a resume. So I'm not listening to that. And because I'm not listening to those things, when they get to the mental things, I'm not really paying attention because I think I'm all right. I think I'm good. And I just, I just want to go home. I just want to be free. Mm-hmm. I want to be able to come and go as I please without, I mean, it's almost like being in prison. So if you get paid and you get to kill people, but Hurrah. yut. Um, <laughs> Should we edit that out? I don't know. What's going I, no, on? no, no, you, you said you said raw. You said raw. You said raw. You said raw. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'll let you go. Yeah, so so I just I just want to be free, and so I I I went through the steps, and it was it was pretty much a smooth. In fact, I remember the day I got out. I didn't even my my first sergeant had to sign some paperwork. And I didn't even show up in uniform. I was I was in civvies. Uh, he was like, uh, "I'm not signing shit until you go put some utilities on." So I was like, "Good to go, first sergeant." <laughs> <laughs> and I went and, like had to go scrounge up some stuff. Luckily, I had a blouse because I mean you have your name on your uniform. Mm-hmm. Luckily, I had something. I, I barely had enough to put a full uniform together, but I did it. Just that just shows right, you where my right, attitude right. was. I was just ready to be done. Right. Um, so, so I was ready to be done too, but I had my uh, my uniform on. But I had the civvies already ready in the car. <laughs> so as soon as I got those papers signed, my ass was in the daggum car, right. and I think I drove from our barracks to the PX parking lot, which I could literally stand outside my barracks room and see the PX. Yep. So it was, but I'd say five hundred yards away. Parked my daggum car. I stood out of my car. I ripped that entire uniform off, threw it in the back. I'm standing there in boxers and a daggum, and that's it. That was it. Boxers. Put my daggum civvies on, hop back in the car, and then we're off. Yeah. Now, see, in Call of Duty, <laughs> when I when I uh, strip down in my uniform in story mode, you know, we go to the club, you know what I'm mean? saying? Make sure that we ain't looking right for the stripper. No, I'm sorry. We'll edit that yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, anyway. yeah. No strippers. <laughs> um, I definitely, uh, oh. it was the reason. Jacksonville, North Carolina, that's all there is. Bars, tattoo parlors, and strip clubs. Give me Alpha, give me a uniform, yeah, bro. Should, uh, <laughs> um, the reason for me asking that is kind of to get, um, to see what, let's say the system, the government does to help you guys out. I think living life, you're going to have trauma, bro. It doesn't matter what you, you can stub your toe. And if that's the worst thing that ever happened to you, that is trauma to you. So PTSD obviously is, is major, I think with life. And from some of it's fed on what you see, because you're kind of seeing all negative stuff anyway, but being shot at, seeing let's say some of your friends or best friends die or maybe commit suicide or you haven't seen your family but shit now she's left you or whatever it is that can just put you in a worse situation than what you already were so obviously if you guys don't mind elaborating more on let's say the ptsd side uh, maybe some stuff that you've seen maybe stuff that what what do you think can be done better to help cope you guys, men and women, 
who serve our country? Um, I think Vietnam served all veterans um, because you sit, you saw such a disdain for veterans, mm. and because the pendulum was so far there, it swung the other way, and now there's a lot of opportunity. The unfortunate part is, with all that said, and all the services that are available, and all the help, and all the processes, the numbers are higher than they've ever been as far as veterans committing suicide. The numbers are higher than they've ever been as ever been as far as veterans um, being homeless. So there's a gap somewhere, and and a lot of it is just. The system is not made to serve the veterans. The veterans are made to serve the system. And then there's some stuff that the veterans have access to. But it's a process. I have to prove to the VA that killing people bothers me. That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> you I have to die like that. That's no, no, crazy, literally. I have, to, I have to prove. That's crazy. And it's not just a matter of just saying it. There's, right, yeah. there's got to be <laughs> documentation. documentation of consistency. You need of, witnesses and stuff like that, too? Right. It, it wouldn't this hurt. This is crazy. It wouldn't hurt. So. That's a major problem. <laughs> so for just me. Hearing, just hearing that, like, disturbs me. Like, <laughs> so we're, we're, we're pretty socialized. We're, we're good to go. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to talk about my ratings or anything like that. Right. But. In, I, I'm, I have learned to cope in spite of everything that I deal with mentally. There are people who are so messed up. I remember um, someone was telling me about they were traveling. And they met this veteran who literally couldn't sleep in the room with his wife because he woke up like trying to fight her every night. So he had, he had to sleep in a room by himself. And his wife wouldn't leave him because she just like she understood what he had been through. Mm -hmm. And shout out to her, man. Yeah, real talk. And real really talk. shout out to all the military wives. Yeah, man. The ones who stayed and the ones who left. Um, but side chicks, or no? them too, I guess. Okay, cool. cool. <laughs> Raw, I guess. Cool. Oh my god. Cool. But really, these <laughs> there there's some people who are so messed up mentally. They killed so many people or seen so many people killed. It's totally like ruined their minds and they don't have the patience to go through the process. So And it's not just the killing people or seeing people being killed and all that. But I know me personally, you know, I've had friends of mine that were killed that I felt guilty over the mm. Mm. not being able to do yeah, something that's, that's to maybe change that. That's deep. Um Survivor guilt is what, it, yeah. what it's called. Survivor where like, guilt. there's a guy who I still I normally have his bracelet on. I don't have today, but people thought that I was dead and it was him. I didn't even really know this guy, but because we were in the same unit and it could have been me, you you still think like, mm -hmm. wow, yeah. his his family has to mourn his life every year, and I'm still here. That's survivor's guilt or people that you've seen die, whatever. Uh, it, it's so much um, people who who aren't even in combat, the, 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 the veterans who process the bodies. I have a friend. Um, she was a mortician. Mm -hmm. And she she I don't even think she ever went into country, but she all like every day she's dealing with these dead bodies. That changes how you think. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And. 
you have to go and prove that, hey, there's a problem and I need some help. Um, and you have to deal with the stigma of, yo, something's wrong with him. When I wasn't smiling, there were people like, literally, there's a lady I remember telling me it, during the, um, the active shooter on uh, up in Virginia. Uh, it was like a naval barracks or something. Mm. The lady was like, we, "Do we have to worry about that with you?" Jeez. Like, <laughs> because I because I served. Yeah. Because she, I mean, she doesn't know what my yeah, my right, right. situation is. You just know that I served. It's awareness, not aware. But those are the things that people just don't want to deal with. The process of going down to the VA, and I'm, I have friends that work at the VA. I know they do their best, but they're just overwhelmed, um, overworked, understaffed, underpaid. Uh, but you have to prove that there's a problem before anybody is willing to help. And and even that's not even a guarantee. Do you think, I'm sorry, do you I think just, somebody messed it up? Like, like let's say it was one person who there was nothing wrong with them and they, and they, messed, and they, it, and they messed it up for everybody. And now they're like, you know what? I don't, I don't know. I'm just asking. Do you think, I mean... Cap on this. Rule, rule, rules this. are made because something happened, happened. and then they oh, made that rule. Oh, as a Marine, we I, definitely know that. <laughs> I so think I'm it's like with what James was saying is that, uh, especially with the VA, and you know, that's the, obviously the, the big organization that deals with, with veterans. Um, there are others out there, but that is obviously the main one. But there's so many veterans that are going in trying to get help, trying to get um, some sort of monetary reward for the the disabilities that they have and there's so many people and so much going on at once it's just they don't have the bodies and the staff to be able to to handle everything at one time right and so say you want to fit 800 people through four doctors somebody's going to slip through the crack yeah. mm -hmm. and unfortunately right. when I'm not because I I mean I'm I'm the biggest square in here. I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't do anything. I don't do anything. Neither do I. Anything, Antonio. I don't do anything. Tell no wrong, no nothing. No wrong, no nothing. Let's wrap this up, man. Let's wrap this up. So but for someone who uses alcohol to medicate, correct. It's real easy to really, really use alcohol to medicate. And when that's not enough, move to something that's a little you you want to dull the senses, so for me it may be dopamine, which is just me trying anything to make me feel happy. For somebody else, it could literally be methamphetamines, or it could be crack, or it could be alcohol, it could be adrenaline, anything to dull the pain to keep you from focusing on whatever's making you hurt inside. Um, those those bad habits take over while you're waiting for help. And I mean, I it's unfortunate, but those bad habits, a lot of times once they stop working, once they stop dulling the pain, because if you don't deal with the root source of the pain, mm -hmm. it's always going to be there and the medication is going to stop eventually. <clears throat> 22 veterans are killing themselves every day. Jesus, so man. it's unfortunate, but someone's going to fall through the cracks and we've been at war for we've been at war longer than we've ever been in the history of this country i'm glad you said that because um i don't think that the people on the outside 
even realize that. You know what I'm saying? Like, they're on the outside, like, war? We ain't in a war. You know what I'm saying? Nothing's going on. Like, we're not attacking anybody or we're not doing... Because that's what, in the on the outside, people think, in my generation anyway, I'm going to just say in my generation, when I look at war, I look at, you know, Afghanistan, Iraq, Bosnia, you know what I'm saying? The situation that it was broadcast all over the news. You're seeing the footage. So just because you're not seeing something doesn't mean that it's not going on. Things yeah. aren't, you know, going on. Yeah, we're st- we're still in Afghanistan. Uh, my pastor just uh, yesterday gave me. He's like, "Hey, here's my son's address, um, so you can write him, send him a care package or whatever," uh, which I asked for. But there, there, there's still people who are deployed. It's not as big a deal anymore. And because it's been happening so so much, our culture is numb to the fact. Hey, people, and, and a lot of people, a lot of civilians have the mindset of they chose to do this. So, and it's true. We nobody forced us to do it. I think this. that's a little bit unfair. You know what I'm saying? Because I host another. Uh, well, I have another podcast uh, show that I that runs on my station, Power 102 Jams, called The Perspective. So there's a former officer. And there's a current officer. And we're always speaking on that people on the outside, you know what I'm saying, looking in. Like, and I think after being a part of this show and listening to these guys speak, when you hear people say, you chose this, you know, you did, you chose it, but that doesn't mean that you're so excited to be, you know what I'm saying, involved in what's going on. You know what I'm saying? So how does it feel when you hear people say, you know what I'm saying? In all honesty, how does it feel when you hear people say, well, they chose to go over there and do that. They chose to, you know, you hear these things. They chose to maybe kill someone that may be innocent or... Yeah, I'm, so sure you, you. I'm sure you've heard it. Yeah. We got to be honest here, so right? So I'll touch on... So like James had said earlier, is like we do a certain amount of classes or whatever whenever we're getting out mm-hmm. of the military. Mm-hmm. One of those classes is understanding that people who were not in the same situation that you were in mm-hmm. are never going to understand the situation that you were in. Right. So, yeah, we chose this, but they don't know exactly what it is that we had to go through. And obviously, when you sign up to join the, uh, to join any kind of branch of the service, you know, yeah, they tell you, you know, they say the definition of veteran is someone who writes a blank check up to and including the price of their entire life. Right. So... You know, with that being said, yeah, we have that in our heads, but there's still nothing that you can do, prepare for, of going through all of that. So, yeah, we chose it, but we still don't have an understanding of, like, what it is that we're fully expecting once you get over there and you're involved in everything that's going on, especially when you're over in Afghanistan fighting a war. And the crazy thing is, the up to, like, dying... It, it may say it sound harsh, but that may be the easier way. It's the survivors who have to deal with this and the families of the survivors. That That's the part that no one really explains. Like, I know I could die. Everybody dies, whether it's overseas or it's to cancer. Whether, what You're going to die. Nobody, it is, nobody's right. really left. Nobody's like just cheated death. Um, so you know you're gonna die, but when you join, you don't understand the impact of surviving and what it's gonna be like and how it's gonna change you. 
my parents look at me and my dad understands it, but we still sit in a room and just kind of look at each other like, what's up? Because we don't have, we don't talk as much. We're not as friendly. When I first start working where we work now, people just thought I was crazy because I didn't talk. It's not that I don't want to talk. It's just, it takes a lot for me to trust you to open up, to talk. And then once, once we're talking, if what I think you're talking about is stupid, I'm, I, I don't have a lot to comment about it because one, I may be dealing with some things that are way more important to me than whatever it is popular conversation may be. So people like, like Nick said, no one's going to understand what it's like to deal with or um, be a casualty that didn't die right. to, to, to be someone who actually just, even for those who just went and sat in the office in Afghanistan, but then all of a sudden you hear mortars coming in or you hear, you got to run to the bunker because anytime the way PTSD works, when you're in a fight or flight situation, there's a part of your brain that keeps you in the area called hypervigilance. And I'm not a doctor, so the way I explain it is probably going to be super stupid, but whatever. It you, you have this thing called hypervigilance, and you're like at a 10, and your body should go back down to, say, maybe a 5, where you're kind of vigilant, but you're not. But the more you're exposed, continued exposure to life and death type situations, your, your, your medulla oblongata does not allow you to turn that that hypervigilance off. So now you're normal. always there. You're stuck there. And people don't understand that because you're stuck there That's your normal, when yeah. you're always in a fight or flight mindset. You don't operate like everybody else. If right. you think somebody's going to kill you, even if it's a subconscious thought, you don't got time to be playing around. You, you, you're looking for threats. You're looking for where the danger area is at. Mm -hmm. So that's just something that the average person is not going to understand. Now, the reverse of this, and Antonio and I have talked about it, is that there are a lot of people who do understand but don't get any benefits because they didn't serve. You live in a city like Chicago, the right part, and you, you, you may have basically grown up in a war zone like the people in Iraq or Afghanistan who were not actually fighting, but you live there, so you're part of a war zone. Right. So it's not just us. It's, it's not it's part of PSD. Um, it's not just service members. The mental health issue is something that, as a country, we really have to get a hold on because it affects so many other people. It's not just the service Absolutely. members. It's just, I guess, we brought a lot of attention to it. So what some advice that you would give, let's say, to the listeners or let's say your family members are listening. I don't know. It doesn't matter. But somebody, what's some advice that you would give to a family member on how to go about helping you guys? Like, is it just sit there and listen? Is it be more engaging? Is it let you vent? Is it leave you alone? Is it, I think I'll, it's I'll a take mixture. you to wherever doctor that you need because maybe you you can't focus and drive? You know, like, what's, what's the thing? I'd say it's a mixture of, of all the, everything you just said. You know, um, people are different. So some people like to just be able to express themselves like this. Okay, just let me just talk about it. And you just sit there and listen. Or, you know, let me try to explain it to you to where you can try to understand mm -hmm. what it is that I'm going through. 
even though you might not fully understand it completely from my perspective, but at least you're hearing it from my words to your ears. Right. Like this is this is what I'm struggling with. Um just be patient. Patient. Um, patient like is, is very, very, very big. Um, I'll go ahead and say it. You know, I have a um, a rating for PTSD through the VA. What does that mean? Like, what is that out of? So there's a there's a you can they can either say that you have PTSD so bad that you can never work again, mm -hmm. which is 100 percent non-working. They can say that you have it really bad, but you still could work. But it's bad enough where we give you 100 percent and then anywhere down there, all the way down to 10 percent or zero percent. So you can get a rating for PTSD of 0%, which means we're not gonna pay you for it, but we are acknowledging that that, that it is a problem. Okay, sorry, I also, sorry, I also have a, a rating as well. Okay. Um, and with the hearing, I have a rating of 0%, so I'm not getting anything for it, but they acknowledge that, bro, you can't hear. And you really yeah. cannot hear. What? That's not, that's yeah, not what we're talking really, about. Go ahead. Really, no, no, cannot <laughs> that's, that's not what we're talking about. And, and that's also coming from somebody who cannot hear as well. Like exactly. both of these people oh cannot my hear. God. It's I terrible. am partially deaf in my left ear. <laughs> this is crazy. Yeah, but I'm is, sorry, I didn't mean to stop but, uh, you. So you, but yeah, you got so a like with the rating and whatnot, uh, you can get anywhere from zero to hundred percent, and it's not just one disability. I mean, it could be. Anything and everything. So I've got ratings for my shoulder. I've got ratings for my back, knees, uh, hearing loss, PTSD, you know, all of that. Mm -hmm. And they all, the VA has this special calculation on how they're going to work up the numbers and they mm -hmm. come up with the rating. And then it's like, okay, cool. This is what your, your percentage is. This is how much we'll pay you. Okay, cool. Thank you. Right. Have a great day. But so, I mean, I do have a rating for PTSD and just recently, you know, I, I got that rating. So when I went to the VA before um, trying to get a rating for PTSD, I went in there, you know, you had to go sit there and you have to have the documentation like we talked about earlier. So I'd spent weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks talking with the counselor, you know, documenting this, that and the other, filling out all these daggum forms. I had to fill out a form for myself that I had to write about my stressors or certain specific events that occurred when I was in the military that caused me stress or anxiety or whatnot. Mm -hmm. And then I had to go and submit all that to the VA. And then I had to go to a third party uh, doctor's office and sit in front of a, a psychologist or psychiatrist, whatever the, whatever ologist it was. Uh, and literally that conversation lasted five minutes. I sat down the woman's like, so just so you know, um, based off what I find here, you could end up losing your job. I'm like, cool, bye. <laughs> yeah. Literally. Yeah, bye. for real. So, you know, me, at that point in time, I was just recently gotten married. Um, I had two kids that I was having to worry about supporting. So mm -hmm. I was like, yeah, I can't afford to lose my job. Right. All right, bye, we're done. End of conversation. So then they ended up saying, okay, cool, you are not service-connected with PTSD. That's, that's so sucks, then man. when I went through this last time, um, I had to go through this whole special process, different than what it was in the past, um, filling out different types of paperwork. And then finally, I was able to go back to sitting in front of some sort of ologist. I believe it was a psychologist this time. And the guy literally laughed at me and not in a bad way. Mm -hmm. He looked at me. You know, I explained to him why I was there, what had happened the last time. 
and I explained to him everything that I, you know, was going through and dealing with. And he's looking at all the documentation and he started laughing and he's like, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't mean to offend you. I was like, but you have PTSD and I feel really bad that you had to go through all of this because of right. something that was, you know, done right. wrong yeah. uh, years ago. Mm-hmm. So, um, and it wasn't until then, and it was my wife that was the one kind of going with what you were saying. It was my wife mm-hmm. who kind of got me into going and seeking, right. you know, talking to somebody about it because uh, she can notice when I would kind of get a little agitated right. or this, that, and the other, she could see the signs and she might not have understood why I was having those signs, but she noticed something. Right. And she kind of had an idea because she has PTSD herself from other right. uh, situations, um, not military sure, service. Sure. Yeah. So she's the one that kind of got me into it. So she kind of has an idea as to, what I was having to go through. And she took the time to like wanting to check and make sure like, Hey, you know, is your anxiety? Okay. Is, is there something that I can do that could kind of alleviate some of that stress that you're going through right now to kind of bring you back down. So it's having that teamwork, I guess that kind of helps you through those certain situations when you, your anxiety kind of reaches that, that max point that James was talking about. I think for me, um, being able to talk to someone and not just like a friend, but two groups of people, people who actually know what they're doing as far as counselors, the psychologists, the sociologists, the psychiatrists, those people who are professionals in the mental health uh, arena. Initially, when I went to talk to them, I was like, yeah, these people don't know what I've been through. They, they, they don't got to know what you've been through. They, the same way, a doctor who works on cancer doesn't have to know what cancer feels like to know how to treat it. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't need to know what you've been through to treat what you're going through. Mm-hmm. But then also talking to other veterans. So among each other, we give each other hell. So the Marines make fun of the Army uh, because they're not as cool as we are. Um, and that's a fact. They make fun of us. <laughs> you do know what Armour stands for, right? Uh, Ain't ready to be a Marine yet. Oh, oh my God. Battle rap. <laughs> Battle rap. Bars. But, um, yeah, I got bars. <laughs> but, um, and they make fun of us because they say we eat crayons because we are not that smart. You eat crayons. That's crazy. Uh, but the, the camaraderie, and, and we work in an environment where there's a lot of veterans. Um, so having people to talk to, who you know that, hey, our experiences may not be exactly the same, but I can trust you. Uh, We were in New Orleans last week, and one of the guys that uh, Nick was actually deployed with, he was like, hey, Robert, you want to go out? Because he heard me mention something about something specifically that I'm going through right now in my personal life. Mm -hmm. He was like, hey, do you want to go out and hang out? And normally, if it was anybody else, I'd be like, nah, man, I'm going to go to my room. Um, I got to study for this test. And I, I don't want to um, fail the test. So, but because it's him, I was like, yeah, man, let's go out there. So we went out. He didn't pressure me to do anything because a lot of th- one of the reasons that I won't go out a lot of times because people, oh, we're going to get you to drink tonight. Mm-hmm. No, you're not. Mm-hmm. I'm 42 years old. <laughs> Peer pressure doesn't work it's anymore. It's not working, right. bro. Right. But so he you was just like, 
No, I'm good. I'm gonna drink this uh, water right uh, here. Thank you. To make sure. But um, everybody in the room. You know. He just he he was. Hey, if you want to talk, you can talk. <laughs> if you want to listen, you can listen. Um, if you want whatever See, you want, me some water. <laughs> I probably need it, low key. <laughs> what whatever you need, like just having those those people who understand you, yeah. um, which which made me go and talk to one of my guys. Um, there's three of us in a launcher. Um, and so one of my guys was like, hey, you need to call this other guy. And I kind of been putting it off like, man, I don't know what to say. I'm not ready. But really just being there and we texted and dude was telling, reminding me of stuff. We're just laughing. We never talked really about what he was going through. But just the camaraderie of us being together made me say, you know what, now I need to take a trip up there, mm -hmm. um, up to Alabama, just to see him, just to hang dope, out. Because dope. those are the type of things. What I don't want to happen is to get that phone call of any of my guys and be like, hey, you know you could have done something to help. And it yeah. didn't. It yeah. didn't. Um, because I was afraid to. So I said all of that to say having been able to talk to professionals and actually understanding that it does help and it can help and just being able to be around people who've had similar experiences. Right. Absolutely. Um, so <clears throat> one last thing, I guess, um, before we wrap it up, um, I want to say thank you wrap guys. Yeah, no, sure. that's, that's the only time. So I just want to say <laughs> thank you guys for new. Number one, this I think. How, what's the time, bro? How long we been on here? We been on. Hey, hold on. It don't even. What difference does it make? Because I, I think that's our longest interview. I think so. So, and this is our first, you know, two person interview. So we want yeah, to say absolutely. thank you for Nate Square Podcast. For sure. Um, definitely. So before we get out of here, um, there's people enlisting every day. Yeah. Um, obviously at 27 or shit 18. It doesn't matter. There's there's some reason why they're going to serve for their country, maybe to get a job, maybe whatever it is. What's some advice from this is bo both of you guys? What's some advice that you would tell that 18, 30 year old male, female, doesn't matter when they want to enlist? What's some advice that you would tell them? Maybe a pitfall or something that and, you and, should and, avoid. And then also, hearing this has inspired me to enlist at 34. All right. So go well, ahead, go ahead and answer the question. The army will take you. Go the army will take you. Damn, Marine Corps will. Sorry, I was too old. Shit. Um, I've actually had some people since I've been out. I've actually had some people that I've known that have gone and enlisted, and the only advice that I've ever really gone into, um, in regards to selecting whatever it is that your job is, I'm not trying to say, hey, if you are, you know, don't, don't, don't join enlisted or don't go infantry just because that's what I did have a plan mm -hmm. you know have if you want to if you want to go and serve your country that much make sure that whatever it is that you select to do as your MOS make sure that for one it's something that you're going to love because you don't want to get bored with it right uh, make sure that it's something that you may be able to do once you get out all right now in my situation you know I I had backup I had a college degree I had you know, that kind of knowledge. So if I didn't and I got out as an infantryman, it's like, okay, cool. What are your skills? Well, I know how to kill people. Mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't really look good on a resume. But being able to say, okay. Well, this is well, like paintball or something. True. You'd be a beast. You'd be dead. Jesus. Oh, you don't know, know how to challenge. Shoot. Long no. You know Tony already for that. 
We all know cornbread doesn't know how to shoot. I got I got pictures of targets, buddy. <laughs> I got pictures of trophies. Oh. Oh. Team one, Rob. Team all right, this day square podcast. We're how long next? <laughs> um, you know, I've always said though that you know pick something that you could use as a skill once you get out. Right. And the advice that I gave uh, the individual I spoke to is like he was he was looking to enlist in the army. And he wanted to do something in relating to aircraft. I was like, okay, cool. Go to air traffic controller. That's what you should try to strive for. Mm -hmm. Because that's something that you can do once you get out. And, hey, that could pay very good money once you're out and you're a civilian. So at least you have that knowledge and you can gain that knowledge while you're in getting paid for it. And then you can get a job as a civilian once you get out. So for me, I I talk to kids all the time. You know, I work with a youth group. Right. And when they get around junior, senior year, they start talking about the military or college. So one, I talk to kids about what is it that you want to do? Um, If you want money for college, then and and that's the only reason the Marine Corps may not be the option for you. Um, The Air Force, you can get the same money uh, doing the same thing. And well, not doing the same thing, having a much easier life. Uh, you want to see the world a much, much easier life, much easier life. <laughs> like you get to stay in hotels and um, no, I'm so serious. Like they, they will come hang out with you in the field during the daytime and then get in their vans and go to the hotel. But uh, if you want to see the world, I definitely recommend the Navy because you get on a ship, you're yeah. going to see the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you want to prove something to yourself, uh, the Army and the Marine Corps, there's just certain things that you can do without going into specialized operations or special forces, uh, just the infantry uh, on either side. Um, if, if, if that's your, your, your objective. So you need to know, number one, what it is, what the reason is that you're going in for. And then... I hate to say this to my with all the recruiters out there listening, but don't trust the recruiters. Mm. Get with someone who knows the the process, who has a little bit of understanding, so that they don't just put you in anything. Like mm-hmm. Nick said, you want to find something that you want to do, not something that they tell you mm-hmm. that, that you're qualified, that you're qualified to do, to right. do. something like that, yeah. or um, that they need. Yeah. And then, yeah. if, especially if you want to join the Marine Corps, you got to finish high school. Right. If you can't, if you if they can't trust you to to complete high school, you, you've already proven that you're a quitter and the Marine Corps isn't Word. interested. So, um, practice mastering whatever it is you have now. Um, but really, again, I think the biggest thing is really knowing why you want to join. And once you know why and what you're looking for, then the jobs, the, the branch, those things uh, will weed themselves away. That's what's up, Word, man. And just a quick, you know, adding on to it, just because there's, I mean, there's obviously there's four different desks or lines that you can go to, five actually, if you include the Coast Guard, at the recruiting office. Just because you go into one doesn't mean that you can't go into the other. Right, okay. You can go mm. in and nice. you can talk to each and every single one of them and then you can find out through that process which one of them is meant for you. Nice. Mm. So, mm. highly recommend doing that. <clears throat> I personally just chose the Marines because I was in ROTC in high school and that's all that I knew and I knew I didn't want to be in the Army. Right. So I chose the Marines. There you go. So y'all got any, uh, I didn't know if he was going to ask, but if y'all got any social media or anything that people can contact you, um, 
you know, maybe they might have questions after listening to this or, or agree they or disagree also or whatever. Email the podcast, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So if y'all got any, if y'all want to say it, I just have Facebook. Okay, I don't have Instagram, Snappy Chat, Twitter. I don't have Snappy none. Chat, Snappy Chat. So he sounds like the old person in the room, even though I am. Oh man. Uh, I, I'm on Instagram. I am J Rob. Uh, it's a picture of me on a motorcycle. Uh, what she doesn't know. But what you ride though? What she crashes. I ride a, a ZX14. I don't know what the hell that is, but I, my 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 coworker, you know, he rides. You know what, what I'm saying? What does he ride? I don't see Harley's. I don't know. Let, let ride me, cross country. I, I ride a Busa Killer. Now see, I'm, I'm sure you heard of the Boosas. Yeah, I, of course. Now I see, ride the Busa Killer. I will tell you this. Here's a quick story for me. Now, see, I rode a booster one time, okay? I shouldn't have been on that picture at all, okay? Now, here's what happened. True story. Uh, co-worker of mine was selling the booster, and I was like, I'm buying a bike, right? He was like, all right, well, sell mine. I was like, cool. He was like, well, here it is. It was orange and black. I'm like, hey, Urbana Tiger's in the building, right? right. $1,300. First bike I've ever been on, by the way. So I'm working at Sprint at the time, and he was like, yeah, go ahead, take it for a ride. All you got to do is X, Y, and Z. I said, cool. I'm finna ride. Around, don't laugh, it ain't funny. No, I'm trying to leave because I don't know. <laughs> no, no, here it goes no, right now. This, this is a true story. <laughs> Get on the bike, revving it up, you know what I'm saying? I'm holding it, you know what I'm saying? I'm uh, release a little bit, you know, going, I'm going. Uh, I got to the stop sign. I didn't realize that bitch was gonna cut off if I didn't do that. If I didn't do the other letters of the alphabet, you feel me? So, I get to the stop sign. The shit cut off. The girls pull up on the side of me. I'm not Tonio, by the way. So when it cut off, I said, I said, I said, here we go again. I said the engine. It didn't do. It didn't do what it was supposed to do. It didn't do what it was supposed to do. Is what I said. You know what I'm saying? So. uh yeah, they, they pulled off on me, Jeez, and, and that's the way it went. Bro, you got any uh, <laughs> info, man? People can reach you? True uh, story. You reach me at, uh, I am so cool on Instagram. Yeah, you so, are, bro. You the coolest. I am ever, so bro. cool, bro. I am so cool, so you can get your engineering, your sound right. All right. Atlanta. Hey. Appreciate that, man. Anything else? I am DJ Ron, Twitter, Instagram, and the Snappy Chat. Snappy and Cornbread chat. don't even know none of know. his. It's, I know his. It's cornbread and then some numbers. 1016. 1016. That's or 1080. Terrible. I don't know, bro. It's, I just be everywhere, bro. I be, I'm at where I'm at, and I'll be where I'll be. And it's that? the A Square Podcast. We appreciate you guys, man. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. It's for been an us. amazing, amazing sit down conversation that was well needed. Yeah, man. And uh, before we get out of here, uh, what what type of shirt does he have on again? If you want to disrespect one man's one more time. All right, we out. He's cut it off. Cut it. Cut it. Cut it. He got a red shirt. Yeah, red shirt. Yeah, okay, good, good, good. AKA Square Podcast. No, it's no AKA. There is no AKA. It's the A Square Podcast. Y'all, we out of here, man. Peace.